0: listening to the Southwest Tech Daily podcast with Robert Hillier and Fayza Khan. Hello and welcome to the Southwest Tech Daily podcast.
1: I'm Robert Hillier and my co-host is
0: Fayza Khan, but it's already said that at the intro so you didn't so need to. New York, New York and all. Well, welcome to 2023 for 2023 what we decided was we would do a podcast that had some of our best speakers on it from last year but also because people constantly have goals in 2023 everybody here on this podcast today will either help you achieve your goal in some way or they would give you advice to be able to achieve your goal or they have achieved their goal so they provide inspiration for you so that's why we chose these people. I, th- I feel like that's the kind of person we put on our podcast, anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think anybody we had on last year could give you a little bit of that, but I suppose these guests are specifically offering a little bit of guidance and help and talking about their own stories, aren't they?
0: About a curation, they to... if you will. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> if you will, or if you won't, actually, they're still doing
0: that. <laughs> Who should we have on first?
1: Um, should we should we go big uh, with Microsoft? Most people have heard of them, haven't they?
0: Most people have heard of them. So we spoke to Richard Ellis from there, and he talked to us about the courses that Microsoft does, and he talked to us about what it is doing in the Southwest and how it's helping the community in the Southwest to achieve its potential.
1: Let's hear from Richard.
2: People are creatively solving a problem that exists, and they're using that to make a business and to make money. And that could be a tech-led business. And now, if we think about businesses that are created today, I would argue that most will be digitally led. That could be a pop-up restaurant and a bar who don't ever have a menu. They've got a QR code. Um, They don't have traditional serving staff. They have that QR code, goes to the bar, someone makes up, someone brings it over. It's a different business model. It's a different way of starting the thinking of that business. And that doesn't mean a technical person started it, but you probably still need technical people in that business to understand the user interface. Is that QR code really gonna work What's the sign-up process once you're in? How clunky is it? How easy is it to do? So I think your question's right on, it's gonna take a broad range of people to drive a digital and technical economy. Some will be the most advanced data scientists or machine learning experts you could possibly imagine. And some won't be, but they'll understand how technology can solve the problem. Um, And I think that's, that's played out in some of the biggest tech companies in the world. Not everyone is deeply technical but they understand how technology can solve the problem. The Southwest is full of amazingly creative businesses, and I think we can produce really creative talent. I think creativity is a very strong strand within any tech community is creativity.
0: I think one of the issues that we have, certainly in this part of the Southwest, so I would say Devon, Cornwall, and even Somerset, is aspirational. What do we do to raise aspirations so that people from here are more confident, a wider range of people from here are more confident to start businesses and also have the confidence to be okay when they don't succeed.
2: At the um, skills shift event here at the Met Office, a question came up earlier that we still see lots of uh, young people in education training for traditional jobs. So they may be doing uh, training to be a mechanic or a hairdresser, or a job that they can see that's out there in the economy. It's very visible, they might know people who, who do it, they might have family friends who are in that profession. And we we're talking about the thing, if you took the southwest digital economy, there are no great office blocks full of front-end developers, where you can drive past the kids and say, hey, that building's full of front-end developers or full-stack developers. Like, it just doesn't, it's just not how it works. So it's quite hard to show the role models to people. So that aspirational piece, they can identify and say, well, do you know what, I could do that. So I think this is incumbent on anyone who's listening, um, we have to story tell, we have to paint pictures, we have to provide more meetup experiences to show people what the career journey is, what the real work actually is, and where people can start. Because everyone who's listening started somewhere. Everyone's gonna have a story, mm-hmm. and some will have the most wonderful backgrounds and how they got there. Again, we have to make this accessible to people to understand how they get there and what they can do, because that's how you, your question about, how, that's how, you, how do you inspire someone? If, so someone who's sat in Bridgewater now, either in education and needs a different direction, or they want a career change because they've realized they don't want to work nonstop on a contract job, which doesn't earn enough money to support their family, but they want, they know they can do something differently. We have to show them that something's possible and train and not, and I'll go back to democratization. You'd expect this from me because I work for Microsoft, but uh, Microsoft Learn, or LinkedIn Learn as learning platforms have never been more available. I'll caveat that with you do need internet access and you do need a PC or a Mac or some kind of internet connected device. I know that's a challenge for some families and some individuals. However, if you can get connected to decent internet connectivity with a good device, there's never been more free training available to start this journey. When I mean free, I mean really free. The initial courses on what's machine learning You can do that on LinkedIn Learning, you can do it on Microsoft Learn for free, and you can understand it. You might never go further than that first 20-minute piece of engagement, but you might.
0: That was a really good chat, and um, I actually went to, what's that place in Exeter?
1: The cathedral?
0: No. No, the Met Office. Oh, yes. Have you ever been to the Met Office?
1: Driven past it.
0: Oh my gosh, it's so cool. They've got this lovely biodiversity garden, so they don't cut the grass and then they have a little thing outside. I mean, there's much more than that. That was the best bit I felt outside, is really cute gardens. But yeah, that's why I went to do that interview with Richard. Who should we have next?
1: Should we go a little bit international? I think one of the things from last year that we noticed is that we could go to events or put a call out for interesting stories and they were coming from everywhere. Mm. You never knew which, which nationality you were gonna be hearing from, who might be on a, on a visit to find out more or to speak at a conference or to facilitate something. Mm. Um, and our next guest was one of those, wasn't he? You, were, you met him and you seemed to learn a lot from him.
0: Yes, Roger Osorio. He is from New York. And he lives in... New Jersey. New Jersey. And he has written a book called The Journey to Reinvention. And Roger's lived many lives. You know, he was a teacher and he was a valet for for cars. And he worked for IBM. And he's just done everything, really. Um, Now he's a dad. So, you know, he's been everywhere. He's done everything. And he's just put all of his life lessons into this book for all of us. And we met him in Cornwall. He'd come over to Falmouth University for the startup weekend. Do you remember those?
1: Yes, of course. Yeah. It was a, a launch pad event.
0: Wasn't yes. It? And
1: he was speaking to young entrepreneurs.
0: Exactly. And then he came over later to London to launch his book, and it was amazing. So I went to have a chat with him. So, yeah, we'll put a bo- little bit of both those interviews in here.
3: I had gone to San Francisco, I forget, like I was going back in 2010, 11, 12, or something like that. And somebody had told me to meet them in South Salito. Uh, a mentor of mine and I was like, oh, how do I get there? He's like, well, you can get there through the Golden Gate Bridge, but I'm gonna tell you to take the ferry because it's a really nice ride. You go across the bay, you pass Alcatraz and there's and you see the bridge and it's just gonna be beautiful. And then you're gonna land and it's just gonna be such a beautiful experience. I was like, okay, well then if that's what you tell me to do. And I was like, wow, I love the ferry here in, in San Francisco. And I went for a couple of few years, totally not realizing I live 15 to 20 minutes from a ferry, and I take a freaking bus through a concrete tube under the water, you know, to get into Manhattan. It's not horrible, but it's not an inspiring journey to Manhattan. One day I just realized, how am I not making the most of this? I, I take ferries in every other city I visit that has a ferry option. I take it just for fun. And I live 15 to 20 minute walk from that same ferry port. And then it just, once that hit, I go, you know what? No more buses into the city. Because sometimes you hit rush hour and there's traffic in the tunnel and then it's really horrible. I'm taking the ferry forever. And I started taking the ferry. Like that, just I made that the habit. If I have to go into the city, take the ferry in.
0: Okay. So, what you've just told me about yourself is that you should find the joy wherever it is. I love that. Sometimes
3: it's closer than you think. And that's the craziest part is that sometimes we just forget that it's like right there um and wow talk about taking it for granted right under my nose like literally almost under my nose i lived on a cliff and it was like almost right there like i could see them leaving every day and i just never realized i could take that now part of it was of course it's more expensive to do that than to take a three dollar bus it's a nine dollar ferry ride but at that point i didn't go into the city often because i worked from home mostly so i'd only go in for like dinners or you know getting together with friends maybe the occasional meeting or two so it wasn't like i went in every day of the week maybe once a week tops sometimes once every two weeks so hey let's make it a nice ride and also
0: so- is joy worth six dollars
3: oh it's totally worth it there absolutely that's worth
0: the it. title of this podcast
3: this is one of the things that i hear from a lot of successful people who share their awesome stories of how their ideas began or how their venture or journey started. And one of the things you often hear is like, oh, my gosh. And then so and so in my network like happened to know that person or so and so happened to be looking for, you know, somebody to work with or, you know, and all of these things just it, it almost seems and, and this is the downside of these stories sometimes is that it seems like all of these things just fell into their lap and it was all like magical and amazing. And well, I'm not experiencing magic and amazingness, So then I guess I'm screwed here. The thing is that it wasn't magic, and it didn't just fall into their lap. It's that they were talking to people, they were connecting with people, and when you put, when you put um, the the word out that you are working on something. People start to think about that when they think about you, when they hear something that sounds like it's connected, relevant, or helpful, and then they reach out to you out of nowhere and they say, "Hey, Roger. So I know you've been like doing this thing with the book, you know, uh, the journey to reinvention. Um, I just heard about like you know this new venue, and they're looking for a speaker. And oh my gosh, wouldn't that be awesome? And I'm like, yes, I would have never known that. I'm not connected to that community. I'm not connected to that." market or whatever it is and but thanks to some me talking about what I do and that person listening, I was lucky enough to have them think of me when the time was right. And this is what really this is where how the magic happens. This is kind of like maybe the behind the curtains magic part. It's not really magic. At the end of the day it's because people are putting that stuff out there and you're creating like agents, people who represent you. And they're out there in their own worlds finding opportunities and delivering them back to you. And it seems like magic later after the fact when we hear about the story and read about it in the paper or, you know, uh, hear the, watch the video on it, looks amazing. But no, the agents were out there working for some of these folks. And eventually it comes back over time when the time is right or they find the right connection.
0: That actually does sound a bit like magic. (laughs) A little bit. bit. (laughs) So how do you actually reinvent yourself? And I mean should everybody be doing this? Should everybody, you know, at a certain point in life go, you know what? Sack off this job that I'm doing. I'm going to go do something else and be someone else. I'm just going to, I don't know, go teach in Ghana or something.
3: Yeah, great question. And, and, you know, something you said that definitely gets my attention. You said, should I, you know, just kind of maybe quit that job or go be somebody else? You know, one of the things that I learned about the journey to reinvention is that it has nothing to do with becoming someone else and it has everything to do with becoming who you really are. Each reinvention is a tweak or an adjustment along your life to get closer to who you really are and who you want to become.
1: New Yorker, Roger Asorio there, fell in love with the Southwest on his visit, passing on a bit of his wisdom.
0: You know who I think we should have next? One of my favorite ever podcast interviews. It was with someone who I really hit her off with, Elizabeth Chandler from The Good Robot Company. And they're basically an AI firm that helps recruitment firms remove biases in the recruitment process, which I think is extremely important, especially in this day and age, because I feel like quite often what tends to happen is, when hiring, we tend to hire people, well, you know, this is not something magic that I'm saying, this is actually research-based. You hire someone that's like you, whether that's the way you speak or the way you look or the way you act or the way you think. And actually, that means there's no room for diversity. And when there's no room for diversity, you cannot create a successful business because there's no different thinking.
1: And Elizabeth is Telex the University. She's in her third year now, isn't she? So um, not even graduated and uh, running a company like this.
0: And that's why I think it's actually impressive. It's funny because Elizabeth is actually the uh, software developer as well. Like she comes up with the solutions. And normally I found when working with tech startups that the techie people tend to stay in the background. So it was really lovely to speak to Elizabeth and the fact that she's a woman and the fact that she's able to do this and still come out and chat to everybody. I mean, I love her, inspiration.
4: When AI is Deployed in testing environment, usually these biases are very controlled. A chatbot's quite a good example. You don't have like people purposely trying to like mess up the chatbot and like maliciously interact with it. Um, or you know you have a toxicity monitor that's actually very like bias in itself in terms of inferencing and sensitivity towards um, certain agendas. So. Um, one way of, of going about cantering that kind of systemic bias is actually something called counterfactual analysis, um, where you look at the what-ifs and you apply it to different contexts uh, with the data. And from that, you can then see how it reacts in these contexts before the AI is actually deployed in that real-world environment. It saves uh, a lot of lawsuits.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, does it, it seems counterproductive somehow using a machine to remove that. Is there no way that we could do this in, like, conversation or in real life?
4: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think um, education is a really important tool, education, communication, and just trying to, like, develop understanding and openness um, towards other people and their experiences. Um, and that sort of stems across from, from cultures, to, like, conversations about disability. It's about taking apart the taboo and... Um, you know the barriers in entering this conversation especially in places like england where everyone sort of tends to like be very quiet about you know awkward topics it's like actually we need to just you know communicate and be open about um starting discourse and that does help and it's the same with developing ai i always say that it's great to like tackle the bias from technical perspective but they need to have stuff like transparency frameworks and you have like the policies in place and also feedback groups feedback groups like in person from both the users stakeholders and also like future generations that can use these technologies and
0: so i guess this technology is is more for businesses to be uh, to complement their already existing attacks on bias
4: Yeah, definitely. So rather than trying to redo the current kind of statistical parity difference analysis that they already have, we wanted to add something that actually looked at different ways bias can be formed. For example, like confirmation bias. So the feedback loops within an AI when it's deployed and it's continuously running. As I said, with the chatbots, it might then take in the information that people are giving in it when they interact and then using that and being sensitive to it for future decisions. So isn't like creating a, a bad robot, as we say, hence our name.
0: Um. That's a cute name, by the way. Thank I did you. think that. I was like, when yeah. I saw it, I, was like, I imagined Wally. <laughs>
4: yeah, it's quite a long name. Like, a bit, a bit. There's, um, there's that two syllable name fallacy that's often in oh, yeah. startups. You know, it has to be two syllables. And we're like, well, we've completely destroyed that with the Good Robot Company.
1: <laughs> Elizabeth Chandler from the Good Robot Company. Should we stay a little bit international with a bit of a, another famous name? Don Armand, South African, like you former ex-to-chiefs rugby player, like
0: you, no? Also, a good Insta friend of mine. Actually, okay, by the way, if you can, I think you should follow Don Almond on Instagram because the man is insane. Every morning, in the cold of winter, he gets into these tiny shorts, barely covering himself. That's not the bit I want you to see. He jumps into a barrel of icy, freezing water and stays there for a bit. I mean, the guy is crazy. But he's also very cool. He's a former extra cheese rugby player, as you said. And he created a business designing apparel. Apparel? Yeah. I <laughs> apparel?
1: I, I mean, I've said,
5: I've said both. Apparel? <laughs> <my life. laughs> I think it's apparel.
0: Designing clothing to help gamers stay fit and healthy.
5: The people that are most active on my Discord are the guys that follow rugby and game. And I've got a whole lot of gamers in there. I'm like, I need to hear your feedback. I need to hear what you guys think of this. And so I'm trying to trying to get the community on board is going to be slower. But that's good because people like to observe and then they learn and then they start to engage. So as long as I got people that are coming in, I can then try and use the people that do interact to build the kind of community that you want and then go from there. So yeah, it's been, it's been challenging because I don't really know because I've been rugby and it's all rugby, rugby, rugby. I haven't immersed myself in how gaming platforms and, and gaming lingo and all that kind of thing have developed. So I'm also coming in as an outsider. And so you don't necessarily have that immediate like connection because you are different. You don't use the slang. You don't, I'm everything I'm learning, I'm learning for the first time where some people have been learning it for 10 years. But that's a good thing because bringing fresh perspective into something can help develop things for the better. You know.
0: Why did you choose gaming as your place?
5: Oh, I'm a gamer. I'm I Gaming is something I've done since, even though I lived on a farm in Zim, we used to go to a friend's, what you what they call barbecue, yeah, but obviously you know it's braai. And they were from Canada and they had a little, I don't even know what it was, but it was a Sega with a little tape that you stuck in the top and it had Sonic. And I used to go there as soon as we arrived, I would go inside and play Sonic and they would call me, I'd go and eat and then go back in and play Sonic. And then we got, I don't even know, it was a very similar machine on the farm, but it had, it was one of those that had like 84 games in one and it had like that circus game. And they had this one- Loved that-, that
0: game. Oh my God, I loved circus. Yeah,
5: yeah, exactly. Completely um, forgot about
0: it till you mentioned it.
5: there's all those games. There was one that had like a bike track, but you kind of were seeing from the side and you had this like, it looked like a bicycle, but it was actually a motorbike. You had like six lanes and you would race and there'd be ramps in the first four lanes and you could miss the ramp and then there'd be like sand traps and like barriers that if you crash, you'd crash and it would take you to the top. Um, So games like that where gaming was a big part of, I'd go out on the farm all day, come home at four o'clock, watch a thing called Voltron, um, Voltron was like the original Transformers it was like five lines that would turn into one robot and he'd have this mega sword that he would bring out at the end of a battle and kill people and then i get to play the games afterwards on the console um, and then obviously developed from that I had a Playstation 1 Playstation 2 went to Xbox had friends that I played with so like uh, gaming's always been a big part of it And then I've got computer at university and I'd take my whole desktop computer to my friend's house we'd hook it up and play Dota and then from Dota played League of Legends so like Gaming's always been a big thing. And I've had like some of my best memories are done when I've been gaming with friends and you like you achieve some really cool trick shots or whatever it is. And so it's just a big, big part of my childhood or upbringing. And I know that there's so many positives to it, but there's also like modern day, there's a a lot of stigma around it. And so trying to just go right, actually, it doesn't have to be the stigma. It's, there's so many positives, but also as gamers, we have to realize that you have to find a balance. You can't, You can't just sit in front of a computer all day and not go outside, like, or go and do something else. Um, As much as you want to believe that is good, like, you have to find your own balance. And that's what we're trying to achieve is get people to find their own balance and not have to not game. Well, who would have
0: thought that Donovan Almond was a geek? That is awesome. (laughs) Never would have thought that. And you had a pretty good time, I hope at the eSports Festival, what happened?
5: It was good. It was it was obviously my first time I've ever been in anything that resembles an eSports Festival. Played some people that weren't as good, that weren't that good like us. And the game was competitive. And then we played an exhibition match versus the eSport, the college guys. And that wasn't streamed Luckily, It was supposed to be, but it wasn't. And we lost 14-0, I think oh it was. Oh my God. Um, but it's okay. It was okay. It was our first time at playing as a team whereas I think they... They justifiably beat us by a lot. So
1: that's hardcore Don Armand there talking about helping hardcore gamers stay fit and healthy as best they can.
0: Okay, shall we now talk about money?
1: There was a huge burst of interest in crypto currency over the last couple of years. People making some big money and huge investments, and it was increasingly being seen as a as the future in everything from Day-to-day purchases to trading to currency transfers, it's calmed down a bit since then. Governments and big banks are less keen, but it's still playing quite a key role, particularly within the tech scene, as to how people wish to wish to store and share their money. But you have to know what you're doing; so it's quite easy to get done.
0: True, and we spoke to Gareth Malner, who's a crypto whiz from Stevenson Law in the Southwest. I think they're based next to, but actually everywhere. And he gave us an overview of cryptocurrency, its uses, and how to avoid getting stuck when using blockchain technology.
6: We've got the Central African Republic tethering their currency to to, to, to Bitcoin, or at least accepting Bitcoin as legal tender. They followed El Salvador from September last year. They did exactly the same thing. And El Salvador's got this grand vision of this crypto city where everything will be transactional in crypto and Bitcoin. And fine, the standard narrative is this is an anti-inflationary measure? You know, we've we've got uh, an unstable national currency or an unstable national economy, um, and we're going to create this uh, more stable, um, less inflationary um, coin or, or, or use coins that don't have inflationary pressure, and all that stems from. Um, Venezuela's launch of the Petro coin back in twenty eighteen, they were suffering rampant hyperinflation, like four hundred percent, and they needed to find a way out of that. But that experiment was full of problems. You know, the initial launch was was technically um, flawed. It was subject to corruption because the people that ran the the launch and the minting were actually family members of or closely linked to the government um, and, and really just stood to make a lot of money from the from the, from the experiment itself rather than from the success of the currency. So in a way, um, it's a bad model to follow and, and, it, and it classically everyone says technology is neutral but people aren't and the implementation of the technology is when it starts to be either ethically or morally right or wrong or not. So um, where are we then with El Salvador, with the Central African Republic? Is it anti-inflationary? Well, if you look at both of those economies, they're actually circling around about 4% inflation at the minute. So not great, but not absolutely terrible. So I wouldn't say they're, but they're in a Venezuela 400% hyperinflation cycle right now. And if anything, El Salvador has increased since the launch or since, since they accepted Bitcoin as a legal tender to about 5%. So the reality is, what does it do? Well, in El Salvador, the problem they were trying to solve was we got $5 billion, $6 billion worth of dollars coming into the country as remittance. We've got people working abroad, primarily in the US, sending money back to family members. 23% of El Salvador's GDP was that, people paying family members from the US. And the problem was that the cost of that was about $500 million a year to the people so the government comes along and says well we can solve that stop working in fiat stop using money remittance providers like western union to send your money back to el salvador because the fees are extortionate. we're going to control that. here's crypto haven send it in bitcoin it's native in both countries you don't have to exchange it you don't have fees well you have much smaller fees great we can suddenly realize that 500 million dollars worth of value a year in the economy and we can then off the back of that, create this crypto haven and everyone can transact in that. And isn't, isn't it fabulous? We can stop worrying about centralised economic problems. Will that play out? You know, who, who knows really, but point is, it's not a one stop answer. The reason that El Salvador did it wasn't the same as the reason that Venezuela did it. Will it be better than Venezuela? It will be hard to be worse. And what about the Central African Republic? Well, they're piece, again, probably isn't too much about remittance, but more about the fact that mobile technology allows you to transact completely in crypto, where traditional financial institutions don't, because paper KYC processes and the fact that your local branch might not be in your town means that it's very difficult to, to utilize the existing financial system in the same way that you can with crypto.
0: You mentioned the environmental impact of crypto and blockchain technology. What do we do about that?
6: The benefit of crypto and from the technological advantage that it brings, i.e. the ability to transfer value, not necessarily monetary value, but anything that value information in a way that's transparent and immutable and publicly available. You know, there's so many use cases for that and that's where the real boon is here. It's in that technology. It's not necessarily in the implementation.
0: You mentioned the environmental impact of crypto and blockchain technology what do we do about that
6: i'm gonna stick my neck on the line man. i think it's a slightly disingenuous argument people don't look at the traditional financial system and go there's a lot of energy being used there It's, oh that's a lot of offices that you've built out of glass and steel look at all that paper money crikey <laughs> i mean whew, you've cut a lot of trees down for that right oh that <laughs> cotton's gonna cost a lot people aren't doing that right and that's where I talk about this sort of narrative and being careful of where it comes from, because actually I don't. Yes, the original blockchain, so the original blockchain was was conceived to facilitate the Bitcoin project. And so the Bitcoin blockchain, as we know it, with its proof of work concept, was at the time a genius way of creating trust where there was none. It turns out that that effort, that labor to make a transaction valid and on the chain takes a lot of energy. So yeah, that was flawed, but no one looks at VCRs and says, oh, films on a portable media device. That's absolutely shocking, <laughs> you know, uh, cut, cut it off right now, turn it off. I don't ever want to think about how that might develop over time. And of course it has developed over time. You've got so many layer one blockchains now either already available or in the works that can store the whole blockchain on your mobile that can allow people in places like the Central African Republic to work an entire node just on phones that are available to them. And then you've got this whole world of refi. So we haven't really talked about DeFi. We've gone straight to refi. Refi, regenerative finance, right? So in the traditional world where your money is backed by gold because, oh, i just trust gold, right? We just like the idea. But for no other reason, people don't swap gold bullion every time you spend a 20 pound note right in the refi world they say well hold on there's something else that's really of value that we also quite respect and that's carbon right and carbon capture and and so why don't we peg our currency against that so every every transaction is a carbon capture based value proposition and so that whole world now exists and you'll see more and more projects coming through with that and if that plays out the whole capitalist system suddenly benefits if we capture more carbon and therefore that's net positive for the environment. So I really dislike this whole lazy narrative of, oh, it's environmentally
1: Crypto whiz, Gareth Malmer, with some good advice.
0: We can't end our highlights reel without talking about the best ever Tech Southwest Awards this year. How amazing was
1: it? It was supersonic.
0: So we had it at um, British Aerospace and Concorde was in the foreground. Well, it was just above us, really. It was just, it was the best night ever. And I think, I actually, I know it's only January and we only ever have the awards in November, but I already can't wait for 2023s because what a night. Every year is really, really good. And I think this year, Tech Southwest put on the best awards ever.
1: Mm, I want to find out who's hosting. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Rob would say that because we hosted this year. I mean, it was really good. I don't know if anybody knew, but we had our kids there because we had a last minute babysitter malfunction. So we had to bring our kids and um, they just watched TV in a room off the side. Thank you to British Aerospace for allowing that. Um, And also to Tech Southwest for being so accommodating to parents who are hosting an award ceremony. Thank you so much.
1: Yes, it was a great night and it's always it's also so good to meet people because you see the names and you read the stories and often people that we've spoken to over the course of the year. Um, but you actually get to see what they what they look like, mm-hmm. you know, and how, you know, nice and funny and lively and excited people are. Like rocket makers for oh, example. Yeah. They're such great um, they're so great. You know, and uh, you don't always don't always get to see that day to day, but it's a it's a good it's always good to see people in the you know in their unnatural habitat maybe being a bit more of themselves is always good fun and it's also of course so brilliantly organised and you know it makes people feel they're really part of something.
0: You know what was really awesome as well. Um is Tech Women CIC, that was uh, run by Caitlin Gould. And the fact that they just won so many awards just for being innovative in education. And um, they also did, because you know, Caitlin Gould is also part of, um, what is it called? Tech Girls. Yes, Tech Girls. So, which I think is a fabulous initiative. And I think that is the kind of thing that we need to see here more of in the Southwest, because that is taking your knowledge, using it, and supplying it to the next generation. That is how we create great industries and great foundations for growth. I think the other company that we should definitely mention from Wiltshire, because Tech Women CIC is from Cornwall, is the Small Robot Company, because they won a bunch of awards as well, didn't they? And the reason I want to mention them is because they also won the The Tech Southwest Award, which is a very prestigious award, because it is The Tech Southwest Award. Um, they're an agri-tech firm and they use robotics and AI and they just make farming much more profitable, which I think is amazing because they're... And I, I love their, um, their motto, which is, small is good, feed the world, regenerate the planet.
1: Yeah, I mean, they got, they got as close to a standing ovation as you can get at the end of a two and a half hour award ceremony. But everybody thought they were great winners and uh, not just about the money, bit about the sustainability the efficiency and helping to feed the planet which is uh as we approach should we hit eight billion
0: people mm-hmm. i don't know
1: either way it's quite a challenge they're doing their bit
0: so i hope you guys have enjoyed our podcast this month and we have absolutely loved every minute of it thank you so much for all your support please follow us on instagram at swtechdaily. You can also follow me, which is at Fiazza or you can follow us on LinkedIn, which we'd much prefer because it's much better. We're also on Twitter. So just have a look, SW Tech Daily. Um, I mean, you can try and follow Robert, but it's just, there's nothing there. So, you know, it's an abyss. Maybe you don't want to go there. Anyway. Thanks for listening, and if you want to be on the podcast, please get in touch with us any way you like, or you can contact Joe Bevan at Tech Southwest. He will be able to direct you our way. Thank you so much.
1: See you soon. Bye-bye.
0: You're listening to the Southwest Tech Daily Podcast.